2: That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the Bro, negative you insurgency in their fire me up, man. You lives. fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Do you hear that, Marcus? Do you hear that? Does it get you fired up? Do you get your leather hat out and your leather jacket? that bull whip out Marcus and ha I want you to go fight the Nazis Marcus I want you to go into the Amazon rain jungle and I want you to find the golden head statue and jump in through the blinding blow darts of death to find the great treasure of life bud <laughs> are you ready for that buddy I am now <laughs> I am, I'm, 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 I'm ready now
1: <laughs> there was a second there where I was gonna, so I was gonna chime in, but I was like, wait a minute. You ever see anybody start stumbling? You know when you know someone's gonna bust their ass and they start going, and I mean, they're, but they're doing everything they can. There's a little bit of gracefulness down the line. You're like, oh, you still got it. No, dude, he's gonna it's hang mad. on to it. Hang on to it. He's still got it. It's like
2: the uh, the blindfolded sprinting race. Have you seen that one lately? <sighs> where the dudes go off and I they know, just the run. what Lance was talking about. Totally. It's full. It's hilarious that's basically what i do on every intro i am a blind (laughs) sprinter running into the fiery death marcus
1: yeah paul paul craig i I love man when he when he explains something when he screws up he got like he was talking about a time he was on a crotch rocket he was hauling ass down the road and he came around his corner he's like bro i was holding 120 and it was awesome and then i just ran out of talent (laughs)
3: <laughs> out of talent. I, i'd never I heard, ran
1: heard that before talent, but in everything i do now when i when i'm going as hard and i think everything's you know when we, she's like oh yeah i was doing well I just ran out of talent <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that
1: is such a <laughs> yeah. great way of explaining oh
2: it's perfect everything. yeah so marius what was that theme song from bud and yeah jones and and why tell me why you two why and was Indiana Jones pivotal for this you? This is the
3: adventure episode.
2: It, well, thank you, thank you. You, um, you. you just ruined my thunder. I was going to get into that.
1: Just out of curiosity, wizard, what what was Indiana
2: chasing when you were? Yeah, good good call. That's where I It's going. Oh, no, thank you, it. thank you, brother. Oh, yeah. What when what was you first Indi- saw Indiana Jones? What was, Jones? Hunting what was
3: you... he hunting? I do know the first one I saw was. <laughs> I think I saw the original Raiders of the Lost
2: Ark was the first one. Ah, oh, okay.
3: Right, nice. Remy tap tap.
2: Oh, dude! The, dude, the Ark of the Covenant, bro. I mean, that's the sickest find you could ever find. That's like the ultimate treasure. Can you bring Indiana Jones back, Harrison? Man, he's he's the man. Hell yeah, you can. You can't ride like a. Wolverine. You know who? I'd use the dude in Wonder Woman, Chris Pine.
1: He's great, right? Chris is a great, man. Dude, we He'd gotta do that, get he him do good. And, and, um Who else? Oh Pratt! Pratt, thank you. Pratt!
3: I was, Jurassic Park was rolling. Yeah, and I was like, yeah dude, he not, could not, totally. But he's already, he, you know, he's already crisp. got sort of that thing going on with Guardians of the Galaxy. He sort of has that adventurer. No, 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 no. Exactly. I so like, he's Han Solo.
1: Right. He's got Han, the Han Solo covered. Then he's got the Jurassic Park covered. And then we slip him over into the Indiana Roll. Oh, he, he, that's the Harrison Pipeline, right? Han
3: bro. Solo.
2: Uh, <laughs> bro, the, look at you. That is that even real? <laughs> no, now it is. <laughs> Hell yeah! yeah it's real! So upcoming
1: actors. You want to? You want to follow the the. What dude say? what was it harrison what i say harrison harrison pipeline
2: I harrison pipeline, harrison pipeline. All right will he have to crash an airplane too eventually probably
1: only if he's president <laughs> 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 all right i'll go what? all day with that useless crap dude you know that
2: what <laughs> what makes Indiana jones so friggin' awesome tell me right now
1: man the, the, his his, his He's everything we all want to be: boy, adolescent, teenager, or adult. Right? He's a college laureate professor. He chases beautiful women. He goes on adventures. He shoots guns. He carries a bullwhip.
2: I mean, he's badass. I don't.
1: <laughs> it's that it. It's it shows you that human concept of adventure and how many different ways you can get into it,
2: and how awesome it is, right? But, and the, the backfill on it is.
1: Now that I'm st- study history and, yeah. the, and the Egyptians and all the, the, the booby traps and, and everything, that that's a real thing. I mean, the deeper you go and into these, I mean, we we hadn't even explored half of it,
3: right? There hadn't been an Indiana Jones underwater.
2: <laughs> Isn't yeah. that Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> right. But, what, about,
3: uh, but, what about Indiana Jones versus James Bond? Uh, totally no, ah, yeah, no, totally different. Totally different. Which is a better series?
2: Indiana Jones, because Bond oh. has got a... Well, stick up his that, butt right hey, and yeah, Jones is going after treasure that's cool that's yeah, like chill yeah, he's British that's like right no he's <laughs> <laughs> British he's British but um, end of conversation no what? offense but, no offense <laughs> oh, but, to all our yeah, British offense. you know oh, man, British man. listeners no offense <laughs>
1: Oh, I did a stay with SAS. You know, a couple of interoffs. I love them. Got bad. Core. Absolutely, awesome. that's why they have James Bond. Totally. I mean, that's where I, I was going with that. You can't right. twist it up on me. But you know, as soon as we got done watching Indiana Jones, we'd go watch James Bond. Totally. totally. I, it, it was it was a multitude of them guys. Way to put dig to, out. Put together that dug out good.
2: Right. Yeah, now. it was
3: awesome, dude. I dig the both of them. I just wanted to see what y'all would
2: say. Oh, okay. No, it was uh, good okay. question. Who, who's your Who's your James Bond?
3: I got a big Daniel
2: Craig, man. Craig, right? Yeah. yeah. He was ours, right, Craig? We came nah, I kind of like Roger Moore. I did a, But he was kind of he's He was uppity a little bit. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm, oh, I'm going with so Craig bad. now. I'm going with Craig now. Our generation's Craig, Curry.
1: right? All right. What about Batman? I, uh, what? Uh, Christian Bale. Bale's our
2: Batman, right? I yeah. Believe. Yeah. What, what's just happened? This is about adventure. This is about. Did Batman? No. James Bond. This is about real <laughs> Indiana Jones. That's what oh, I'm oh, talking about. All these guys real Indiana all Jones. That. Re- so. When oh, you think who
3: Dave would be the real Indiana Jones?
2: Oh, well, that one dude, Stanton Stanley. Who's the? Oh, a you're cat. talking about
3: Morton Stanley in ba- Search for Doctor Livingston. Doctor Livingstone, right? into the heart of darkness, the Congo, into the Nile, the Sick. great days of adventure,
2: right? And and so that idea, it, people like they believe that that it ended there, where you could go down in the Nile and find stuff you've never found, or you go out in in the Amazon or you go into Afghanistan and never see anybody that's seen a white dude or whatever like that. But the dude who we got coming on this show today, brother, he is the modern day Indiana Jones. He is the modern day adventure. Although he ain't searching for the treasures, the lost treasures of the Incan cities or whatever. He's certain search- searching for the treasures of the human condition. Right?
3: Yeah, it's more of an anthropo- uh, anthropological say, he's his or own kind of sociological of, um, type of, of exploration is what he does. It, he goes it, into these conflicts that are human-created. He's not in some advanced far-off land, you know, seeking for the ancient temple. Of, yeah, it's not the physical treasure, it's the emotional, yeah. But he's nice. definitely exploring
1: those. Human treasure.
2: Dude, you watched Indiana Jones before we did this show, didn't you? <laughs>
1: All right, You know, Mellie's kind of the one that got me spun back into that. Uh, she's been to Machu Picchu and a couple... Of, she's yeah. the one that drags me around. You know, we don't go well, anywhere. Well, I love all the
2: missionary work that she's doing. You need to go oh, on I'm, some of those.
1: Way to die me out in front of everybody that I don't go <laughs> on missionary trips in my life. Bro. <laughs> I'm, I'm the turd of the bunch, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ding dong. Your wife is such
2: a great person. What the hell happened to you? Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, dude. Listen, we can do one together. I know we call up Jeremy Courtney. We'll get over there right now, bro. Uh, I'm legit. you see seen my kids in her office. I got 12 of them. Uh, <laughs> she just goes over and hangs out with them. Totally. Totally. All right. W- what we got to do is we got to introduce our guest to this cat. Because What we
3: need to do is why don't you get out the way the whole welcome stuff and then we can talk about. oh it. that's brilliant brilliant let's knock that out because ready i'm anxious to get into this
2: <laughs> right welcome to the T A Q podcast i'm your host david Rut rutherford here along with mr never quit himself marcus lone survivor latrell and the wizard who we're not gonna tell you his name because he's an adventurer still in a different perspective but he's out there adventuring in adventuring in What's the Richard. word I'm and looking he's our, for?
1: He's our link to our old reality. Totally is. Oh, Yeah, yeah, totally. that's important to me.
2: Yeah, that is huge.
1: We may not let him quit. No, we want you to quit. Be careful. Hey, get over there and get some good. <laughs> t- <laughs> get, get your t- ass in t- something where <laughs> <for> you. <laughs> <laughs> we can get some
2: stories, damn Totally, it. totally. I, I want you to be
1: safe, but you better hang it out on the edge a little bit when you come yeah. back up in here. Yeah, I
2: want to know the story, dude. I love it. You're already, you're already Indiana Jones wizard. We love you, bud. Thanks, guys. All right. If you're a first time listener to this it show makes, it
1: makes makes my house even better cuz that's the the guest book.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean Well, you know I sign your guest book every time I leave. David oh, dude, R- Rutherford yeah. CIA agent, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
1: Mix it up.
2: You know I sign <laughs> David, David
1: Rutherford why is his uh, name, Poet Laureate. What's, what's this right here?
2: <laughs> David <laughs> Rutherford. I know, you know that, Navy SEAL kids. Admiral. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like Dad had a friend that was an admiral named David Rutherford.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Bullshit! He was an E-5!
3: (laughs) Dave Rutherford, space cowboy? Totally. Door gunner? Yeah. All right. Submarine door gunner?
2: Submarine? That was my favorite one, bro. All right. Welcome to the show. Have we got a doozy plan for you? I mean, we bring in this incredible guy, a modern-day Indiana Jones, but searching for the treasure within the human soul in wars all around the world. If you're a repeat offender and you're back, you know why you're back, because you understand our mission, which is to deliver the most positive, fired up, intense content available and podcast today, man. We are here to help you overcome the obstacles in your life, to face the adversity head on, to knock the crap out of the negative insurgency in your life, to learn how to suck it up, buttercup, And to develop your never quit mindset, man. That's our mission. That's why we keep coming back. That's why we try and bring on the most incredible guests available out there in the world. From all walks of life. To share with you their greatest never quit story or stories. To help spark you. To help you become legendary in your own world. All right how was that great thank you appreciate it that was nice yeah thanks appreciate it, brother you're welcome hey can we get a bio on this guy please and and listen this is, hey if you're listening bear with the wizard it's worth hearing this information and as your mouth is open catching flies just prepare yourself go we still haven't used his name yet go ahead what is it really marcus Sir it's a Robert Young <laughs> 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 Dude, can we dub him, or will you dub him later? Dub them now! In the voice! Dub him in the voice. Sir Robert Young Pelton yeah but I-, I read the entire biography with an English accent? <laughs> literally, you
1: start reading this dude's bio, you read his name, then you start reading his bio, and you slip into that that language, right? that accent. You hear the and, voice! Uh, yeah. You hear the voice! It starts coming out automatically. I don't know what the hell is going on
3: here. I can't stop it.
2: And the funny thing is, the furthest thing from uh, uh, an English cat you'll ever Sorry. experience. All right, it's go. So
3: funny. No, you know what we're going to do? We're going to play a game, and I want you guys to mention any place or any conflict in the past 25 years. And I will tell you what Robert Young Pelton had to do with it. His bio is that extensive. I think we'll probably tag everything. You ready? You, number one, go.
2: Sierra Leone.
3: Let's see. Well, in his book, Hunter, Hammer, and Heaven, he talks about his time that he spent in uh, three wars, one of which was in Sierra Leone, ethnic cleansing. No. Marcus. Kosovo. How about Chechnya? He was uh he was he was there in the battle of Grozny with Chechen rebels getting shelled by Russians. Dave, your turn.
2: Uh let's go. Um How about Afghanistan? Samaria?
3: Iraq. Ooh, let's see. Afghanistan. He was where do you even start with this one? Oh, bro. He was the last person to interview Masood. Masood, the commander of the Northern Alliance Bye. prior to his assassination. This was pre
2: 9 Just
3: pre 9/11. He was embedded with the original horse soldiers and the ODA team. He was were,
2: with who? Dosum.
3: Dosum, who was the uh the, probably the biggest warlord uh in that part of the that part of the country. Also uh present during the battle of Kali Jengi. Yeah, thanks. Give me another one. <laughs> Somalia. Somalia. Let's see.
2: He fought pirates. He was present
3: during the siege on Villa Somalia in Mogadishu. And let's see. Uh, <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on.
1: Hold on. Dude's so tough. He, he goes made, uh, in and sets a, up a new Somali
3: report with the assistance of 140 local Somalis. This was uh, ground it coverage intel on, on al Shabaab, pirates, governments, contractors, intelligence groups involved uh, just in that region. This was in 2011.
1: He's one of those guys, just if, keep reading it, man. If, 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 he's one of those guys you know who <laughs> wanted to disappear.
2: Oh, totally. You know totally. Yeah. Totally, he knows everybody, everywhere, and can get you a place. to He's stay. Off,
1: off the grid with that. Totally, Not the internet and he has yeah. plugged in. So it's uh, humid. Yeah.
2: All right. Oh, he's do- that's where his I mean, I a place to
1: stay for the rest of my life. Come out here, buddy. I got a
2: guy over I here. Guy, yeah. I know a guy.
3: <laughs> All right, so let's do it. Let, let's do, do a, a form rundown form. Down here. Just do have a formal form one. Patience, we're going to run the, through this thing. Try to give it a little description. Originally, he's from Edmonton, Canada. Uh, growing up, he says that he had a love for adventure and exploration. You know, since he was young, he left home when he was sixteen, uh, living in a Rambler station wagon, picking fruit. Eventually, ends up I in Toronto. I live in a van. Unless you're Canadian, and it was a what? A Rambler. As a Rambler, <laughs> down by the orchard. Down by the orchard. He ends up in he ends up in Toronto. He decides, he, as from what he says, he starts getting really interested in earning money. He wants to go into marketing. Uh, starts working in a mailroom at a major marketing agency, BBDO, uh, there in Toronto. Ends up opening his own his own uh, agency, Pelton Associates, with clients Marvel, Wait, Disney, Mattel. He worked with Steve Jobs during the launch of the uh, Lisa and the Mac cool. computers. Um, this agency goes to 126 on Inks 500. Wow. He's apparently he's taking some break on vacation in Monte Carlo, and on the spur of the moment, he decides to travel to Africa and live with the Dogon people in the Sahara for a
2: period Just, of time. Hey, let's go live with the Dogon <laughs> of time. Are they the sand people? They're the sand people in Star Wars, right?
3: They live but in the I Sahara. I do think that they're nom- nomadic. Anyways, he realizes like <laughs> all these efforts for other people, he's been doing these jobs that he now considers dull and boring. He decides to make himself the product and work for himself traveling and interviewing people. So he starts doing these expeditions around the world. Um, but conflicts, right? He no, chooses he, conflict. He starts traveling places and basically making travel guides. But he starts realizing he would run into journalists who, this is what he says, they would make fun of him, saying, "Oh, you know, you uh, you did X or or, or Y." But yeah, tried doing that in Algeria or Afghanistan or Liberia. Okay. And this sparks <laughs> this sparks something in his head. He sees this as a niche, and he decides he wants to start going to places that no one else wants to
2: visit the world's most dangerous places
3: well and that's the name of the first work that he does when he starts taking this up the world's most dangerous places the title of a book it's uh i actually ran into this before i personally went in the navy. i read the entire thing it's over a thousand pages and it covers everywhere pretty much every location that you don't go on vacation
2: (laughs) Or, or you go to war at <laughs> or you go to wars you know
3: of, of that nature that was his first book it's now in its fifth edition
2: that's cool um
3: his first trip he goes to algeria in the triangle of death this is during the conflict between the government and islamic rebels he ends up getting arrested there then uh i once had an
2: algerian woman try and teach me arabic how'd that go her lockheed martin instead? I learned a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> right? What'd you learn though? <laughs> well, I didn't learn much because her Lockheed Martin boyfriend uh, told her that she can't teach me Arabic
1: anymore after like two lessons. I'm trying to to mull <laughs> through the fact that some dudes were making fun uh-huh. of him because he was a
3: uh-huh.
1: a millionaire playboy in Monte Carlo. Yeah, living in March and Car- the race go by with women around him. And yeah. That. <laughs> Who would make fun you, right? of that, right? Yeah. Robert, Look at this loser. So Look at this sl- what? <laughs> what? I'll give it up right now to, ask, to go to war. Fucking dare
3: me. Fine, I'll go live with the sand people. Fuck <laughs> you. All right, 1996, I guess this is like his second trip. He decides he's going to go find the Taliban in Afghanistan. <sighs> Following that, 99, he's in Chechnya. Oh, I
2: like think we God. mentioned this
3: earlier. He's in Grozny. In Grozny, he's reporting uh, while embedded with Chechen re- uh, rebels fighting the russians are getting rocketed um, oh. 2001 he starts working as a journalist in afghanistan this is uh, and he's with the ODA's five nine five, five seven first or soldier so first guys to go in there he's also associated gets introduced to general or warlord whichever you want to call him Do- Dosum um Bad. we actually had Greg Barker our guest yeah. who was on making the uh the documentary the documentary Digital Brothers was was on that whole topic yeah he takes in 2003. He's. On, I'm just brushing over some of the biggest. Uh, there are so many other little projects he's done in between. He's 2003. Um, he's working for National Geo- uh, Geographic Adventure. They're in the Darien Gap, which is the isthmus between you know Panama, basically between Central and South America, right isthmus. there between Colombia and Panama. He gets uh, abducted by the outer Defenses Unidas de Colombia, which nice. are the good, uh, good AUC. Accent. It's a
2: Got kidnapped, right? He got
3: kidnapped, uh, held and detained for 10 days by them. Later that year, he goes on assignment with ABC and then CBS searching for he, WMDs I, in Iraq. Can you imagine if this <laughs> dude would have had a, an iPhone and a GoPro back?
1: Oh, he, bro. He, he would've, it would have. If that would have been the standard for what you have to do to get the story for journalism in, yeah. that, in that regard?
2: Oh. Oh, I yeah. think, though, but that would cool have taken away.
1: Come, no, 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 but that's why Pioneers, yeah, yeah. that's how those are born, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of by design. The, the I guy, like where your head's The at. guy who could utilize this to its utmost came right before it. Right. No, that's the that it always sense. works, yeah, right? It always works. I mean, I'll put that together, it. but it seems like uh, it's by design, though, right? Cause, yeah. And you're good. We can't let you be that good. Uh, it, you know,
2: exactly. Always, like, uh, exactly. Exactly. So he goes to work.
3: Now he's now he's in Iraq. He's on a sign with ABC, CBS. He apparently gets frustrated by the restrictions placed on journalists, and he goes off on his own. What's he do? This kind of like sets a whole new uh, level in his. I mean, at first he's the guy creativity. traveling and interviewing people, but now he's developing literally he's developing intelligence networks. Uh, he built a network of informants, seven hundred Iraqis across across the country. He's actually selling information to the U.S. government. Who's buying this? This you know, model, know that I he's guess. already. Re- he's too good.
2: <laughs> he takes yeah. this
3: model eventually. He also goes into Afghanistan. I mean, he's arranging meetings between, with, between Taliban and, and U.S. generals.
2: Epic.
1: But doing it on the auspices of just men can get along. Even when we're out here killing each he's other and condition. he knew he was going to attack. Yeah, he's like, the hey, treasures. Yeah, I mean,
3: arranging these meetings that are along a line of thinking that's completely outside the box. And he, he also gets involved. He's in Pakistanis and Somalis and Libya. Um, this was
2: recently in sudan right during their civil war
3: in sudan he well he did a a massive uh, 130 page investigative like expose and 30 minute documentary on on the conflict in south sudan this was for vice magazine Uh, i love the fact that he did that for vice man that's cool yeah obviously he's a writer the additional books he's done come home alive it's a real world survival guide hunter hammer in heaven Based on his experiences in three small different wars, licensed to kill, it's all about it uh, contractors with the U.S. government um, during Iraq.
2: Um, Did he the help Eric Prince? Right on,
3: on. There, there was. There's been something in there. He was associated with with rewriting uh, an autobiography for Eric Prince. That was in there. He's done journalism for CBS, ABC, CNN, National Geographic, Discovery, Bloomberg. It's um,
2: loser. It's, what a dork. I don't know. Oh, Do we really a, want to he bring is him on. Another one of these guys that has <laughs> a the resume that is
3: so long. <laughs> huh? This sounds it's all continuous. this sounds really cool, man.
1: Where's the hard part?
3: Yeah, <laughs> where's the damn never quit story? <laughs> never quit being awesome.
2: Yeah, right.
3: <laughs>
1: That's mean.
2: what he is, Hey, he? man.
1: Didn't they just start they, the world's most interesting man. The, oh, the contest, the beer. Yeah, yeah there's an actual let's contest. Him, okay, let's put him in there. He put, totally. Put, put,
3: we need to put him in there. I
2: say we submit him in there. Nomination.
3: Yeah. Um, dude, we'll seek the official nomination. <laughs> is Sir Robert, Sir Robert Pelton. Young Pelton. This year, the TNQ podcast officially recognizes and puts <laughs> forward the candidate for most interesting man in
2: the world, Sir <laughs> Robert oh, Young Pelton. I love it. I love it, man. Well, dude, I'll tell you what. Right, man. We'll just have
1: to start our world's most interesting man.
2: Right? The TNQ. Q, most no, interesting man. Because everybody that comes on is pretty wild, dude. Yeah, He's, we don't want to pick favorites. Yeah, we don't want to pick favorites.
1: I'm not we're not picking him. He did this himself. I just read his whole freaking bio for the last 30 minutes. <laughs> I don't play True favorites that. and I don't give handouts. True to
2: that. You earned earn it. You earned it.
1: You earned it. It's kind of one of those deals. Look at the path that we car- chase and carry, but it was a, also a physical we, 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 oh, beca- yeah. we became that, right? The yeah. f- the fighting the part. Violent I mean, everyone part. thinks you can't have an adventure like we have unless you're able to take it to that max. But He's proof positive. Yeah, man, you can be in kind of uh-huh. any kind of mindset or any kind of mental or um, char- characteristics of the timid or the outgoing, the the, fi- the violence or the non-violence, and still have one of those
2: sick ass lives. Uh, All right. Well, what do you say? We bring Sir Robert Young Pelton
1: onto the show.
2: Marcus, I'm telling you, man, as a as a cat that has been to some of the world's most dangerous places, as a person that coveted that, I gotta tell you, it was one thing to go do it when I had Apaches supporting me, when I had a Spectre up above, or I was working with the agency and I knew that we could get some Maybe not get some drones. That might be a bad reference right there. But we would have at least somebody somewhere that might come help us, right? Mm-hmm. What a difference, though, when you're on the flip side. You're rolling out. You ain't got shit. You got no guns. You got no specter. You got no army behind you. You got nothing. And you're going out there pretty much just to see what kind of trouble you can stir <laughs> up, bro.
1: Hanging him out there.
2: Hanging it yeah, out, Just dude. to get the story. Just to get the freaking story, brother. That, in my mind, is is pretty
1: awesome. Well, it's that ultimate adventure. Nice. And you just go out there with your wits and your skills, going where the uh, where the adventure is. Right. And depending on what that is and what time frame, and I guess what you're trying to seek. But, you know, he... Uh, I always had mad respect for them guys, man. I, we didn't get a chance to; they didn't get in with us much. But you, you know, when they're hanging out there by themselves, and when when they leave us, you know, they have to go somewhere else. And you're right, the security standpoint, there is a level of comfort that we have that if I get in a pinch, I know tanks, helicopters, and everything else going to show up trying to help mm-hmm. me out. Mm-hmm. But, Plus,
2: just having absolutely. having 19 other guns next to you that are going to yeah. bring a, a, a level of hatred sure. that's not in And fun. most of the
1: time, I mean, the, the intel you're going off is something that he had to muster up himself. You oh, hope that's what blows me away. Yeah, exactly. His
2: ability to create his own intel networks, yeah. dude. That's,
1: that's an art in itself.
2: It is an art. So, uh, let's stop talking about this, man. Let's bring this cat on because I swear to God this is going to be one of our greatest interviews ever. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages... Welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast, Mr. Robert Young-Pelton. Sir, welcome aboard.
4: Thank you guys for the great intro. <laughs> you earned it.
2: You definitely you earned it, man. You definitely earned it. All right, now, sir, before we get into us just with our, our mouths agape, listening to your incredible wisdom on, on, on the Never Quit mindset as it relates to the world you've been in and all the different worlds, all the different cultures, we got to get warmed up. We gotta loosen up a little bit. We gotta shake it out. We gotta we gotta stretch out that prefrontal cortex. So what we do with our guests <laughs> is we go through a little exercise we call the mad minute. The mad minute. All right? Now I i guarantee you've used a million mad minutes in your life, but those were probably life and death situations. This not so much. We just wanna have some fun. So all right. <laughs> nah, no, this is
3: actually the most poignant part of the whole show, so Stand by. <laughs> are, are you ready, sir? I, I am ready. fairway,
4: away,
1: Marcus. Let her rip. All right, favorite superhero. Uh, <laughs>
3: <laughs> you didn't see that coming,
4: Favorite you? superhero is Sir Richard Francis Burton, who's actually a real guy. Wow! Right uh, I, I was
1: gonna. I'm, I actually had said it in my head. We don't put this in oh. there. I was gonna ask him about Burton or Bingham. Where are you? Yeah, Seriously? Either an Indiana Jones or a Han a Burton mm. or Bingham. Yeah. Man, I've been, I've been studying them guys now. It's weird.
2: Dude, you're a geek, you know that? I am, I just right? want I think, you to know no, that. No. <laughs> you're turning into a geek. You're no longer a pipe hitter. You're turning into a podcasting geek.
3: Yeah,
2: Bert, <laughs> good answer. <laughs> All right, Wizard, fire away.
3: All right, best dive bar on the seven continents. Where is it?
4: Oh, that's a good one. Uh the best dive bar would have to be the bottom of the pandemac in Kabul. Which was called oh something, but I don't remember because I was too drunk to remember most of the nights. But it had a giant Mr. Laughing Skull sticker on it, and inside there were the most reprehensible vile scum that you could find in Kabul at the time.
2: Ah. Oh. That's awesome. It's something
1: out of Indiana Jones, right? Oh, Thomas, you in, you know, it's a it, Star Wars scene. You roll it <laughs> in there. Any genre, Any genre. Exactly. <laughs> again, you got the assassins sitting at one side. You know, you got the facilitators, the intel guys, the wannabe weenies, the freaking oh, the, the pilots. Mine was or, the, in Baku,
4: man.
2: Oh yeah,
3: I'm I'm pretty sure I know exactly where he's talking about. Well, what was oh, the name? I've, I've been Mr. Pelton. What was the name of it again? Or did
4: you say you didn't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. It's under the Gandamac. Mac. was set up by a journalist friend of mine who was tired of being a journalist and said, fucking, you know, <laughs> journalists drink. I'm going to open a bar and a hotel. And he did. And it was a gr- the snug. Was it called the snug or something? That sounds like that? right.
2: That sounds right. That and sounds it was, right. It was
4: great. It was great.
2: Wasn't it right down the street from the, the Chinese uh, massage parlor too?
4: Um, I, I, I refuse to answer that question on the ground. <laughs> no, but no. It's no. across from the Iranian embassy. It was across yes! from the Iranian uh, embassy. Huh?
3: I know exactly where that is. Conveniently located oh, yeah. in That's
1: the city you know of a other good dive bar you didn't even know the name. Totally.
4: It's, it's dive bar. Yeah. Exactly. This <laughs> was downstairs. That's all I remember. And the ceiling is really low. <laughs>
2: Because we could, you know what? If we keep going down that, this whole show will be undived. No, don't want to anyone Yeah, or, yeah, no, yeah, that's just, it. Just not all right, all right, here you go. What is your power animal?
4: Oh, man. Um, I think the gopher, because it just takes so much <laughs> to kill them. It takes so much cunning and stealth <laughs> and patience <laughs> that's Fucking brilliant.
2: That's genius. That's, brilliant. that's the best answer yep. I've heard yet.
3: Yep.
1: Go, Marcus. Marcus. What's your
2: favorite
4: place to write? great question dude oh wow 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 um you know my my ranch the the place that i wish was the best place is is my ranch but the place that i get most of my writing done is on a damn airplane
2: right Mm -hmm. me too
4: it's different between what i like this is what works yeah yeah totally All all right wizard
2: fire away
3: Get a little serious here. I want you to give us an example of a time you saw something strikingly beautiful in the midst of a place that was otherwise full of ugliness and evil.
2: Otherwise known as a shithole.
4: Just kidding. Uh, the, <laughs> first time, the first time that I watched a scud drop in Grozny in 1999, it was winter time, and we'd come through the the mountains, and uh, I was with the jihadis who kept yelling "Allahu Akbar," and then we got out to take a pee. And I saw this huge orange column, like a dirty orange color coming out of the city. And then I heard, like, the boom later, and it was a scud hitting the city. And I thought, wow, it's like Christmas. It's beautiful. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Right? The juxtaposition in that imagery is is, is awesome, man. I love that. All right. All right. If you could go back in time and resurrect some person from history— and sit down and have, you know, an hour long conversation with them where they would answer any question you presented, who would it be in what period?
4: I think it'd be Alexander the Great, and I'd ask him what the fuck the oracles told him in Egypt before he set off to conquer the world.
2: Wow. Awesome response. He didn't, even, uh, he didn't even hesitate about that.
3: Well, no, dude. he's been holding on to that for a long time, probably. That's know, I'm, writing about a, that. Man. I'm
4: writing a book called Finding Coney, which is why Africa's fucked up and why we fucked it up uh, and why they fuck us up. And it's the interaction between Africa and the rest of the world. And one of the things that Alexander did because he was a kid is he went down to this desert oasis, uh, you know, by the border of Libya and uh, Egypt, and he consulted with these oracles who were kind of con artists and they would sit in these chambers outside where you were sitting and say things and make noises. And then he went out and told his army, okay, let's go conquer the world. And whatever happened in that building is worth figuring out what the hell they said, because then you can go out and conquer
0: the world.
2: That is a is an epic, epic response, man. All right, Marcus, go big guy. Mine are lame. After that one, that one was good. No, your last one was sick. That was a great question. Yeah, I know but the Alexander one floored me.
4: All right, brother, what was your high school mascot? Uh, I do not remember. I went to high school. I think I passed, but I spent most of my time not going to high school. So oh, awesome. I'd have to think. I couldn't afford a mascot. How about that? Is that a hard luck story right there?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's a never quit story right there. All right, go, yeah. wizard.
3: All right, uh would you rather live one life that lasted 1000 years or would you rather have 10 different lives each of which are 100 years?
4: Oh, that's a good question because the one thing you get from age and experience is a sense that everything's fucked up and it always will be fucked up. So I would rather be <laughs> 1900 times than 1900 years old. <laughs>
2: Oh, that's wisdom right there, dude. That's wisdom right there. Yeah, I think
1: there's a level of obscurity in the world that with age after that whole part of it, afterwards, you would learn how to manipulate it.
2: Oh, for sure, right? Yeah. Here you go. Yeah. Um, what is what, I mean, because when I imagine bucket lists, I think of, you know, you think of the average person, but you basically have been living yeah. out a bucket list day in and day out for your whole life. Do you actually have a bucket list, and what is one item that's in there? What the hell's left on there? Yeah, what's left?
4: Uh, so I don't have a bucket list. I just get intrigued by things I can't figure out. So like when I went to live with the Taliban, I was because I had read an article about students taking over Afghanistan, but they were driving tanks, and I asked myself – how do students know how to drive tanks? So I went to Pakistan <laughs> along the border area, and I went into Kabul just after the Taliban had taken over the city. And I spent uh, like four weeks with the Taliban back in 1996 or 95, something like that. Yeah. So right I don't here. have a bucket list per se. I just find something interesting like you know Joseph Coney. The reason I'm hunting down Joseph Coney because I figure, why the fuck not? You need so. help?
1: You need help with that <laughs> I can help you, man.
4: Well, shit. I, right I, there, God. I got
1: to
3: tag. that. Uh, do you think? Uh, are you more curious now, or when you first began this? When you, I guess, maybe took That's your first like an trip interview over to question. Africa, Can we pivot with the, the people there in in the Sahara? <laughs> I got a question onto that.
4: Curious. Well, I. I... I don't – I get surprised by less things because I see patterns and I I can predict things very well. But I do see things every once in a while that really intrigue me, and I try to add some level of, like, sick black humor to it to make it engaging. So, you know, myself (laughs) – I literally took a child soldier back to South Sudan, who was the manager of a Costco, to fix the country, and I figured that was a great premise for a story in a documentary. It, that's so one I of get, my favorite things so you I get done. more perverse and evil as I get older.
3: Ah, I was wondering what? if that was a whole premeditated idea, or if that had happened, you know, while you were in the middle of filming over there in South Sudan. No, no,
4: think about it. Like white <laughs> guy goes to Africa to tell people how shitty it is. Mm. Like nobody wants to <laughs> do that. So. Child soldier goes mm. back to Africa, leaves his job at Costco to fix country on his vacation. That's the story. <laughs> <I hope. laughs> well, you
1: I mean, what he tells you, is you're still walking down that path because you said you started to see patterns. That's true. When you get older with age and more experience, the more you find, the more you want to find. And when you start to see those duly running patterns, you're well, taking the kid back, man. Now you're anticipating the outcome, right? You're trying to <laughs> see if you <laughs> with that dark going. humor. That's <laughs> That's how you talk to yourself. I, I, hey brother, I'm running down that same line you are right now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love it. All right, all right. Before we go too further, I got to interject and 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 pivot a little bit to we we got to get to the meat and potatoes of the show and and that's kind of my job sir. So You know, people come to our show not only for our wonderful, clever, you know, humor and, you know, twisted minds, but they come because they want to hear amazing never quit stories. They want to feel connected to somebody in a story that ignites them to get out there and and fulfill their never-quit mindset in some capacity. But they might be struggling. They might be in the beatdown. They might be lost in the abyss of uncertainty or lack of purpose. So, sir, if you could, would you please share with our listeners your greatest never-quit story or stories?
4: Well, there's no such thing as one story that's greater than them all. But there is a story that you can write over and over again that does give you what you want. And when I meet people who are confused, angry, dealing with issues, whatever, I say, go find someone who's more fucked up than you and help them. Nice. And typically – That is the simplest way to get from point A to point B. If the guy's been in the military and maybe he's got issues related to violence and PTSD or whatever, said let's go to a war where people are really fucked up and let's do good things. And I got to tell you that that is the root of all redemption, right? When you Mm. realize that you as a person have skills and abilities and energy and optimism that can help somebody rise up, Now, you know, I focus on areas like, you know, Liberia back in the day or, you know, Chechnya or South Sudan, places like at the bottom of the heap, Mm -hmm. you know, Yemen, Somalia. And I have to say, you get this sense of optimism because when you leave this country, you know, you're being machine gunned with bad stories and car accidents, rapes, murders. I mean, you name it, trivial to serious. Mm -hmm. You get out of that bubble and you get into a place where – Somebody literally has no food. So, for example, you know, I went to Liberia to be with the Lurd rebels when they were losing. They lied to me. They told me they were winning. So I went, <laughs> no, we're winning, really. Come on. Uh,
3: optimism. No, serious. No, really.
4: <laughs> I went to their rebel headquarters. It took me 13 hours of driving and whatever, and I got there, and they thought I was the U.N. coming to help them. I'm like, no, dude. I'm just here to watch you win. They're like, oh, we're not winning. We're surrounded. How did you get in? So... <laughs> so I watched this small group of people with nothing. I mean, no food, no money, no nothing, get attacked three to four times a day. And, you know, I had all these child soldiers. I I was in charge of the small boys unit. And I had the gun boys that would be ferocious, you know, in battle and then be like little kids when we're back home. And when they attacked, all the people would flee into the bush and literally just hide in the bush. And then they would come back. And I thought, well, I'm going to try to start an economy here. So what I did is I I brought in some flour, and I had a guy go get some sugar, and they started making donuts. And I said, here, make donuts. I'll buy them with the money I brought in, and then you give them to everybody. And I literally watched a group of people go from absolute disaster and nothing to forming an economy and, and so example, that's, that's not a great like story. Like, Oh, this guy had no legs and he walked 10 miles, but it's just how people work. They can build. If, if you start the spark, you know, if you show them what can be done, they will do it. So teach a man to fish, right?
2: Can uh, I, can I ask you a quick question though? Because something really jumped that leapt out at me. in that story was you, you initiated with this concept of redemption, is redemption an essential component of the never quit mindset in your estimation?
4: Yeah, because if you're in trouble you fucked up. And this is <laughs> I mean, you gotta own it, right? Right. And sometimes we think that oh society did that or I got blown up and that caused this and and I I mean, I don't know how much you know about my background, but I went to a school that was famous for killing children. They killed uh, Right,
2: right. A
3: canoe trip. twelve, uh, 12
4: kids. Yeah. It's also famous for killing somebody and bringing them back from life on one of our snowshoe trips. So (laughs) I come from a place where there are no fucking excuses. And so when I went into combat, I'm not a fighter, I'm just hanging out with people who are killing people. I watch how that affects them over the long run because it's an incredibly intense experience that can generate a lot of negative thoughts, right? Because it's not like you fought a battle and you won and they give you gold and women and property like in the mm. old days they actually just say yeah fine you've been direct 12 times who cares right so those people feel a loss they feel like they screwed up and i'm not mm. saying they did something wrong i'm saying they need to gain the high ground by saying you know i learned skills i know how to deal with people i'm going to go help these people that just had this earthquake and, and you know team rubicon for example absolutely is, 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 um, I went and worked on a ship for two years pulling dead babies and screaming Syrians out of the water in the Aegean during the winter and the Med. And and these things all restore every missing piece of faith that you might have in yourself.
3: Have you seen, can you think of us, can you give us a specific example of uh, someone that you watched go through that progress or that, that process where they were, you know, really just being hammered by their own… Self loathing and depression, lack of self worth, yeah. all of this. And then they go into this situation, they come and they just become transformed.
4: Well, I, I'm an enabler, so I attract all those people, right? I mean, you, you mentioned that you read my book. You know, somebody picks up a thousand page book that's, you know, two and a half inches thick that says the world's most dangerous places. You know, they're kind of fucked in the beginning, right? So, <laughs> what are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> Most people are looking for something, right? They're they're trying to get away from the the norm, the thing that's driving them crazy. And they start reading through it and they start realizing that, hey, why why did I think I had to live my life this way? Now, when you're asking me for specific people, I deal with thousands of them. I mean, people tell me all the time, famous people, you know, famous journalists, famous politicians. They tell me, hey, I read your book when I was a kid. I say, fuck you. And they said, yeah, but I changed my life. And um, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story. And and um, you know, I, I wrote a book about Blackwater, right? Called "License to Kill." Mm-hmm. And and my modus operandi is I I don't just write books; I have to actually do what those guys do. So I went to Eric Prince and I said, "Eric, what what's the most dangerous thing that you do?" And he says, I, "You know, it doesn't sound sexy, but we have this stupid run from the Green Zone oh, yeah. to the airport." Now this is two thousand and four, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, Those guys get shot at all the time. It's, you know, you're guaranteed to get shot at, probably car bombs or whatever. I said, Great. I said, I just want to hang out there for like a month and just do that shit. And one of the guys, on, and the guys on the team were all sort of misfits that all been kicked off their pretty boy details that the SEALs did. And so they kind of ended up in this sort of shitty job of having to drive to the, the airport. The <laughs> buy run.
2: run. Yeah, yeah they're right? doing the buy run, baby.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's anybody been uh, that city. I had to drive that. these really slow, stupid vehicles <laughs> that by cheap. So anyway, so there was one guy on the team that would not talk to me, and he was the guy that always took point, and he had all these skulls and black things. And you can read about this in the book, but you can also read about it in a, a graphic novel I did called Roll Hard. And he wouldn't say much, and he was raising birds, and he quiet all the time. And then finally, he came to me one day, and he said, holy shit, you're the guy. And I'm like, what do you mean, not a guy? He said, you're the fucking guy. And I said, explain. He said, I was a jack-off when I was a kid, and I read your book, and I joined the Marine Corps. And I wanted to do something more with my life than just be a jack-off. And, and then I said, well, what, what's your problem? Like, why are you so, like, quiet? And then I find out that that's the guy that was supposed to be in the car with the four guys that got killed in Fallujah. Yeah, and with Scotty. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And I, he had a survivor's guilt because of that.
2: I know who you're talking yeah. about. I, I was working for Blackwater at that time.
4: Yeah. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, so I do. He came, out, he came out of this funk because he realized, A, you know, it wasn't his fault. But by talking about it and me actually writing about it and then making him sort of a, a semi-heroic figure in a graphic novel, he's like, fuck it. I, I own it. I, I can deal with it now. So that's an example.
2: Hmm. That's really cool. That's really cool. I hmm. think when – when when people hear you make the try and quantify the the influence you've had, I, I I naturally and I think our listeners right now are going, well that's great man. You you obviously have gotten out and and really explored and seen so many different things. What was the precipice for you doing that? Well, just to cover that briefly, so people have context of. What made you walk away from being a, a very successful entrepreneur to going to find the most the world's most dangerous places? What was the catalyst for you?
4: Well, I I was a poor kid. I lived in a car and I picked fruit and I was obsessed with making money. So I did I started my own business and by the time I was thirty one I was a millionaire, drove a Rolls Royce, had sixteen hundred dollars suits and all my clients thought I was a rich asshole and so I figured I'd made it and I was on the Inc. five hundred list, number one twenty six I think. And about that time a number of my mentors, my clients and my father, died suddenly. And my father got ALS, which means you got six yeah. months you know, to get to know your father and watch him die. My other client got bone cancer. Uh, He was playing tennis and broke one of his, uh, I think his clavicle, and it didn't heal, and he was dead within a few months. And I used to take a month off every year and just go to the most remote place in the world on vacation. So I did these expeditions in Borneo and stuff like that. And on these expeditions, I would meet journalists who would make fun of me because I was the rich asshole who went on these, you know, expeditions. And they said, oh, you think it's cool that you drove around the entire island of Borneo? Well, try getting into Algeria. Try getting into whatever where they're trying to kill you. And I thought, well, that sounds
3: interesting. (laughs) 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 That's awesome.
4: I started to set up interviews for these guys by literally going to these war zones, finding the rebel leader, and saying, oh, do you want to do an interview with my friends? And I really liked that, and I was good at it, and it was real. You know what I mean? It was something that I did so effortlessly and so joyously Hmm. that I didn't even really think about what I was doing. And when these people died, and I realized that these people were in their 50s, and they thought they had their whole life ahead of them, and they didn't, and all the things they dreamed about never happened, I thought, fuck, I have to do the thing that I want to do, whether it makes sense or not. It doesn't matter. I just have to do this thing, and I did. And uh, I have to say it was the smartest thing I ever did, yet people say that I'm crazy. They say, well, why would somebody go into these dirty wars and be on the rebel side with the jihadis, with al-Qaeda, with all the Taliban, and why would he then go to the other side? You know. And I said, because I need to show people what war is about. And now people don't give a shit what war is about, so I have to focus on different things, you know, things that are much more complex, like why can't we find Joseph Kony, you know, or why is Africa screwed up? But the point is, is I follow – what I love, what my heart tells me to do, and I try to share it with young people. When I say young people, it's because old people are too grumpy and set in their ways. Hey, Amen. But I'm trying to get young people to make those right decisions uh, when they're young and say, "Don't go for the Safeway, man," because if you if you think you're on an adventure and you got a return ticket, it's not a re- it's not an adventure.
2: Nope. Mm. Absolutely. What are, right. what are the things? That I love. So you you sparked this journey. You 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 set forth on this this epic you know tale, or writing this epic tale of your own existence. Obviously, as you go and you get to sit down and be with the Taliban and 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 their push into Kabul, and then you get to go into uh, all these different places. What did you start learning about their them? culturally their never quit mindset why what was driving them was it idealism was it power was it greed was it you know was it evil what were the things that you saw that kind of you know would lend you to understand the never quit mindset in a greater cultural diversity
4: that's good so never quit means You have to keep going, but when you keep going, you lose things. And if you've got nothing to lose, it's easier to go forward. You know, one of the things about survival that they don't teach you is the more shit that you have, the more baggage, the more concerns you have, the less decisions you're going to make. And you're going to be frozen or sitting there because you think somebody else is going to come or you're worried about, you know... What if I leave this behind or what about that person? And these insurgent groups are basically people that have nothing to lose. So whatever they believe in. And you've got to go back to early America. You've know, you got to go back to what makes Americans think the way they think. We have so much freaking baggage that we can't even cross the street without wondering, oh, if we get a jaywalking ticket, how much is that going to cost me? And, and we live in a world of risk adversity now because we have so much stuff to worry about so the first thing you learn about if you want to survive is bring nothing with you and that goes against all the survival advice right. you'll ever hear <laughs> but it's how mm. i operate it's how i fucking operate i don't bring a sleeping bag i you know i don't bring all these things you're supposed to bring because i know i'm gonna find somebody with a plastic bag who lives in a dirt hut and I'll cook him a meal and I'll sleep on that floor. If I need to get a ride somewhere, I'll give the guy 20 bucks and we'll go either steal a car or we'll hire a taxi or whatever and we'll get there. And this is what keeps you alive because people want you to stay alive. They, they're they not thinking that you're there as some kind of, you know, sneaky or rich guy or whatever. They, they want you to understand what they're doing because they have nothing and you're living with them and understanding it.
2: What what I You make a quote in, in one of your your talks that's available on YouTube for our listeners. When you say, we're losing our love of risk. We are letting fear prevent us from doing the things that make us great. Can you expand on that concept and really drill down on maybe if you, there's a time or something specific that causes that in us?
4: No, I mean, look, um, (laughs) right now, if you went and decided you wanted to go talk to some group like ISIS or whatever, you would feel that, A, there'd be a lot of penalties and and, uh, repercussions against you, both financially, socially, whatever, and B, that no one would care. So you're not going to take that risk, right? Let's say you want to quit your job. Mm. You've you've got a a pension or you've got something coming down the pike, but you really feel that you want to be a ballet dancer or a car mechanic or something. It's financially punishing to follow your dreams now. So even even the smallest thing, like even speaking out, I mean, how many times are people criticized and crucified for having a different freaking opinion, for being adventurous in their thinking? Wow. So mm-hmm. my my point is, is that the entire culture we live in is terrified. So we have all these fucking soft walls and lines painted on the road and, and barriers, both social and real and financial and legal that keep us trapped. And this is where desperation comes from, by the way.
2: Very interesting yeah. that you bring mm-hmm. up that and you connect those two. Sure. Now, what, what, what have you seen? You, you, cause obviously when you go to these countries where people reach that point where they have nothing to lose as a result of desperation, what happens? Do, is there a rebirth that you've seen or do they continue to eat and feed upon themselves and destroy the very fabric of civilization that can make things great.
4: Ah, well, now you're getting into the science of revolution. But typically, you have two layers of any insurgency. You have the intellectual pricks who come up with all the dogma and the (laughs) useless sayings of posters. (laughs) Uh, that will benefit by ousting their competition and then you have the poor stupid unwashed desperate hoi polloi who must actually pick up a gun and kill somebody And I travel with both those groups and and I find that we don't express ourselves to such a degree that we're willing to die for our, our ideas and that we tend to only exercise extreme views when we find other extreme people around us. So what they do is these people are my, are brainwashed, essentially, into believing a dogma. And once they start destroying their society, they realize that there is no benefit in destroying society. But yet the democratic <laughs> paths, and you see this in Afghanistan, uh, the democrat, democratic paths are all corrupt and useless as well. So the lesson is that we need... To understand that when somebody has an idea and says, oh, this is wrong, we need to challenge that, that we as humans had the capability of extreme violence and organization and rapid movement as well as calm, democratic process. And that that has been taken away from us.
2: Can Mm -hmm. you give that example of of the experience that you had when you went out and you were working with – you know, Afghan generals and and Taliban warlords from Pakistan, and you brought them together to sit down, and you had 1,200, you you know, you're paying 1,200 surrogate, basically, assets (laughs) in in Afghanistan to feed information Mm -hmm. and to create this opportunity. Can you help us, uh, can you help our listeners understand what was the reason you wanted to do that, and did you know that ultimately getting the two people that, hating each other most, just talking to each other would have some positive effect.
4: Yeah. So, um, you know, when I first started, I was a marketing guy and then as a marketing guy, you you learn to understand things by talking to people. In other it's words, just walking outside, and yeah. asking people questions. Um, I worked as a journalist briefly. I worked for 60 minutes. I worked for ABC investigative and CNN, but I hate that world. I, I didn't like it at all. And I have the distinction of being the only journalist embedded with journalists for a month in Amman because ABC wouldn't let me sneak into Iraq to link up with SF guys. <laughs> <rest of> <laughs> so um, I then thought, okay, what can I do? So I got so pissed with the whole journalism thing that I bought a Red Bentley and drove around Iraq cataloging mass murder sites. And, I mean, literally in the middle of the war, we're talking 2003, I'm driving a gold-trimmed Bentley Mulsanne, (laughs) which only went about 100 miles because it had a fuel problem because they got looted in 97. And the local farmer would come and get his cart and drag us to his house, and we would sit there, and then these people would come, and they'd been holding these secrets in. For 10, 15 years, and they would tell the most horrific stories about busloads of Kurdish women being machine gunned and then bulldozed over and soldiers, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, you know, this is something that's not getting out. So I started to put together a ground network in Iraq first called Iraq Logger, which I sold as a subscription, which is kind of crass, but I made a lot of money and it was a go to site for a lot of analysts and, and government people. And then I went to Afghanistan. And I said, uh, we met with the four-star, and he said, can you start work today? Because we told him a bunch of stuff that he didn't know, and he wanted to know how we knew it. And he said, well, we don't work inside here. We work out there. So we then – Went down the most simplistic path you could imagine. And that means that if the Taliban is attacking an American installation, we'd get the Taliban commander, we would pay for his taxi ride, believe it or not. We'd take him up to an Italian restaurant called Rumi in Kabul, then we'd bring a one star from the US side. And they would sit and talk to each other. Now, the funny thing is that the general was like, what the fuck am I going to ask this guy? And I said, I don't know, ask him about his kids, ask him about the weather, you know, just talk to the guy. Ask him why he's pissed, like, why is he attacking? And he insisted that he have my SAS guy and my SF guy sit there in plain clothes with a pistol under their clothes. And I said, no, nobody's going to kill anybody. But the point was that it blew his mind because he thought, this guy's just like me. I mean, he is fighting a war because he's got wife, kids, family, and this government that we're protecting – is screwing him over. So every time there would be a, a CivCast or something, uh, you remember the big one in Shindad or whatever? Yeah. We would literally be on the ground talking to the survivors, getting the names, finding out who gave them the intel, and we were watching the watchers. We were watching drone strikers saying, "Well, oh, you fucked that one up. And, you know, we got in trouble. I ended up on the front page of the New York Times as like a ninja assassin or whatever. But the point was is that we were delivering good stuff an example would be you know we met with the taliban all the time and i went to the four star and i said what do you want to ask the the leader of the little t tab- taliban and he says what do you mean i said, just write it down a piece of paper so i would send my guy who would sit with the little t taliban guy to do this interview and then the military would fuck with us because they'd send a, a spy plane over to take pictures so in the middle of this interview uh the guy goes out with a with a PKM and starts firing at the planes, <laughs> filming the meeting. And I'm like, dude, that's cheating. You're not supposed to do this. You're supposed <laughs> to play by the rules. Like you you had some questions. He wants to answer them. That's how it works. So we used very old fashioned military techniques to communicate between warring sides, which probably hasn't happened since what World War One. World
2: War I, One, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That that's that's just remarkable to me. What? the one interesting thing that I I like to hear about Marcus we talk about this all the time right is is as you're you're out and you're experiencing people that are going through these massive transitions of the effects of war you you see transformation happen within them and you mm-hmm. see people change in front of your face was that what did you was that something that like because you 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 kind of reference jokingly that you have this sick and twisted mind of bringing a lost boy back to Sudan to try and solve a war and all this, but does does that component of it affect you to see wow war is really devastating and and it can have long term effects is that is that part of this quest for you to bear witness to the human condition in that depth?
4: No, that's horseshit. I mean, bearing witness is just what a pussy says. War. <laughs> Thanks a
2: lot, sir. A Appreciate sure that, that one.
4: Yeah, <laughs> War is a is a is a skill and an activity just like fixing a car or flying a plane that is both manageable and understandable. You know, the fact that we don't insist that our citizens fight our wars for us has made it like some weird thing that other mm-hmm. people do somewhere else, right?
2: Totally. Mm-hmm. But
4: there was a time that everybody was engaged in warfare to protect what they owned, right? So my personal opinion, and, and it doesn't make me a hawk or a dove, is that every human should experience war so that we don't have so many fucking wars.
3: That is absolutely brilliant. That brings me, I read an article in the Atlantic, I don't know, probably a couple of years ago, talking about this guy was advocating bringing back the, the draft. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's stupid. So I read it. And then I understood what he was talking about. And he was saying how, in comparison to take a war such as World War II, where mm-hmm. you have a draft that compels the society to have a stake in the fight, whereas in comparison to, to mm. today, there's a very small fraction of the population that's actually has skin in the game, so to speak. So it's much easier for those people to just to be – Oh, and then then you have to, to volunteer for it. To whichever, com- you know, whichever dictate comes down from, uh, from leadership in, in the government as far as going
4: to fight yeah, another but it's, conflict. It's what- it's worse than that because the wars we're fighting, we ask guys like you to do. We then turn you into heroes with like muscles and six-pack abs and big guns that go boom, that boom, me. boom. That wasn't me.
2: That wasn't me. I never and had then, it. <laughs> And then we have the
4: president of the United States wondering whether he should push the button or not to launch nuclear missiles into North Korea. And we, we all view it as some weird like pinball game that, that doesn't have consequences. But – You know, these wars in Afghanistan and and Syria and North Africa, these are nickel and dime countries that we're just making money off of. Real war would engulf this entire country. So whether we think we have skin in the game or not, we kind of do. It's just that we've isolated ourselves from the real repercussions of it. The people I work with are are trying to start a war in Iran, you know, and they've been trying to do it for many years, right? And what they want to do is start a proxy war in Lebanon, you know, poke sticks at the Iranians and drop bombs here and start some kind of small war that'll be a a prelude to destabilization inside Iran. And we're using Saudi to do it. We're using the Emiratis to do it. And it's a weird, dirty, filthy game because we are not— brave enough to say we are going to defend democracy and rights equally around the world we just do these weird little let's start a war over there and i'm sure we'll get enough guys that want to go you know train these guys up and maybe get shot at so i don't like that kind of warfare
2: interesting hmm. i i got a question for you. you you recently embedded with a sf team a few years ago or are, are you hearing you know and and i don't want you know you know, by all means, don't you know, divulge anything, you know, inside conversations you had. But uh, I know and in, in a lot of my friends that are still in and have been in a long time, there's, you know, you're hearing a sense of, uh, all right, what what are we doing? What why are we what what's the purpose behind that? Are you seeing that out there as well, too?
4: Oh, now you're going to get me going. So, you know, I'm, I've am i been... I'm, I'm looking with, at Dave and I'm like, oh, you want to go here?
2: <laughs> Just touch I, on it. It's, it's part of this. I've, yeah.
4: I've been with U.S. troops three times in my life. Right. And I don't do embeds, but they require that you do embeds, right? The first one was not an embed. I was with that team they made a movie about. Uh, the guys that fought on horseback, 595, and I was mm-hmm. with General Dostum. Okay, and I, I knew that he was fighting, and I wanted to get into the war. And Dostum knew of me from I wanted to get into Afghanistan when he was fleeing, and he thought I was a crazy guy. So he invited me, and this is after they blew up Masud. So I was the only journalist inside Afghanistan in in the fighting with special forces and Dostum. And I saw 12 guys and a bunch of agency guys with a bunch of local guys who couldn't read or write win a war against the Taliban and actually sign a peace deal with the Taliban because they had lost, right? Mm -hmm. And then I watched State Department turn that into an entire shit fest as they said, oh, no, we want this uh, door manager, this guy from uh, Pakistan is going to be the president. What's his name? Karzai, yeah, put him in charge. And let's get rid of all these people that have democratic and, and regional support. Then I went back in 2013 with the exact same ODA. And it wasn't really an ambit. I filled out all the paperwork, but they told the guy that there's a Game Boy in the tent, go there, and we'll be back with Robert in a week or so. And I did all kinds of cool stuff, and I really got to meet this next generation. And they were they were raised on stories of special forces or special operations guys being – People who went out by themselves and did the right thing and came back and didn't tell anybody about it, didn't want any praise, but represented America's best interest overseas in combat, right? They're now doing PowerPoints about PowerPoints. They, they're they drawing an org chart for me on the whiteboard that I can't even fucking understand. We can't even move unless we get all these people signed up and moved into position for medevacs and stuff like that. I say to them, well, have you met General Dawson? Because he loves you guys. And they go, no, we can't. I said, what do you mean you can't? We can't even go out of the fucking base without all these PowerPoints. Uh, and I said, okay, so we got to figure this out. So I said, okay, let's do a – what do they call it? Um, key leader engagement meeting and then let's have one of the cars or trucks break down because they wouldn't let them stay overnight believe it or not they <laughs> let sf stay out overnight oh my like god year old daughter i don't know this is so,
3: true this is the uh, current state of the engagement over there in that ao
4: mm-hmm so, I set up this rather devious insurgent plan where we rolled out to do a, a KLE, and I don't think we even mentioned who the person was because Dostum was PNG at the time, and yet he's the kingmaker of Afghanistan. So, we get to his compound, and there's a big meeting there 300 people in a basement that you would never know, and Dostum is laying out his political plans, which were successful in, in putting Ghani in power. And, you know, village by village, the old-fashioned grassroots way. And I said, okay, they're here. And Dostum had this big smile, and he dragged them all down, and he told heroic stories about each one of the Americans, right? And the, and the, wow. the guys clapped. And then we went upstairs, and there's people milling around. And I went to one of the guys, and I said, well, where's your next big operation? He's like, I can't talk to these people. I said, trust me, where's just give me the fucking town. And I said to Dostum, who, who hears from this? town so this guy he's he's the mayor so he walks over and i said these guys are going to hit your town they're going to wipe out the taliban he said good it's about time those assholes got killed so i said tell him where they are and he said yeah they're in this town and when you come in you call me and i'll take you right to the building they're in and and you fucking kill those assholes and then dawson was hearing this and he said hey hey you know this isn't your country and you're our guest just tell me who you want and i'll bring them to you wow this sf is supposed to work
2: that's how mm-hmm. sf works right mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. right but it does so yeah, no, the design sad design thing is, man. Man. i won't waste your time but the point is a lot guys but just like the oda five, was quitting on the day before 9-11 they were literally in their commander's office who was a dick quitting saying we want out of here we're just as useless this is all you know for sure we're not doing what we're trained to do now, I'm, I'm not on some soapbox because I'm not a military guy, so I'm not the guy who should be speaking, but I can tell you this, that we have made everything special uh, in the military now, and we're solving everything with special operations, but we don't do that thing that makes them special, which is leave them alone to do their job.
2: Hear, hear. Amen to that.
1: Everybody has to be special.
2: everybody gets a beret (laughs) everybody Everybody gets a beret
1: everybody gets
2: a trident today all right well let's thank you so much sir for taking us down that path let's bring it back
1: problem when you water it all down you pass out the berets to everybody making and then when they have to actually go out and do the job it's not what that beret stand in front of you it's what it comes behind it what it represents and if you've taken that away from them you just kind of stand there I mean, think of the domino effect that has just by sending one of them out there that's not even prepared for what they're walking into.
4: Oh. Well, let me tell you, I, I, went, I went through Robin Sage and some of the – just for fun. You know, I went through some of the training that SF does, and there's this really fucked up part where called Robin Sage where you take Rangers who are used to doing things a certain way, and then you, you launch them into these bizarre scenarios in which nothing makes sense, and they have <laughs> to make a decision they're under stress and it's how they make that decision that says okay you know go ahead go ahead no sorry you can't handle this sort of vague bizarre world that is actually called reality taught by your mentors right mm-hmm. and i went to the instructors and i said okay just cut the shit what how many human beings are sf now I, I i can't speak to seals i used to speak i used to teach survival training to seals and they'd look at me and say so we're not there to get to know people, we're there to kill them. So I thought, okay, great, I'll, I'll focus on SF. <laughs> but the point was that the instructor said that there's about 3 to 5% of people who qualify as SF if they meet all the physical and mental requirements because there aren't that many people that can handle the shit that's thrown at you under that level of stress, right? And further to that, what I then realized is that these people, once they – out are not viewed as special. In other words, there's no way to integrate these folks into our culture as mentors. And this was the thing I noticed with Robin Sage. I I don't know what it's like with the the Navy, but the guys that have been there, done that, learned all the wisdom, made the mistakes, are not available to us as mentors, which I think is really weird.
2: It it is bizarre. Hmm. But one of the nice things that we're finding out there, and we've had a lot of amazing guys on the show um guys like tim kennedy guys like pat mcnamara guys like uh uh dom rosso who we interviewed this morning people that have a lot of breadth of experience within special operations are now recognizing that their skill sets to become mentors are viable they're just having to do it and obviously you know you'd be at shot show and you'll you know you see them in droves out there trying to promote whatever business platform they're on. But in an essence, when they have clientele or they're consulting or training at whatever level, they're acting as mentors and, and they're giving access, I believe, to civilians. And whether it's Marcus out there speaking or me or however it is, is we're doing our part to try and uh you know instill that never quit mindset yeah i mean this show is part of what totally.
3: you're talking about no, an avenue of access into that you know experience and shit expertise all over their veterans man you
1: didn't want to tell anybody you even had the uniform on
3: and we had they had to whittle <laughs> through all that crap that a,
1: our wars kicked off we had to go through them before you could get special and get out to even figure out what was going on so i mean that that time is regular right i mean it's you, you
4: well, I'm, it's, it's, I'm just saying one simple thing. I go back to Alexander and I go back to the traditional warrior poet persona that, that society created to warn you against further wars. Is we don't do a good job of civilianizing warriors who can teach us. In other words, yeah, I want to be a- going to some spooky company that makes sense that pops the heads off of Talibs. I'm talking about kids in high school and, and, I, and I do respect the fact that there's like Team Rubicon and you guys are saying, hey, I've been there, done that. Listen to me. I can help you get out of a jam or help you move forward. I'm just saying we as a society need to celebrate that soldiers are also wise people if, if they learn the right lessons and they're allowed to transmit it to, to young people.
2: Amen. Mm. Amen. All right. Well, let's, let's pivot back towards the listener, Robert, and obviously you're a person that delivers stories. You, you share these wonderful experiences to help people gain some insight uh, on a whole, the whole spectrum of the human condition, but in particular, I think, to help people maybe look at something uh, from a different perspective. What are some ideas or concepts that you can share from your experience that will help, you know, launch people into their journey that will help them feel a little bit more, uh, you know, confident to take those risks to explore the world to gain better perspective?
4: Well, that's a tough order, man. Okay, I'm going to give you this <laughs> life in like 30 seconds or less. Okay, the first thing is to read fucking books, okay? Uh, and that means all the free stuff that's on the internet that people don't even know is there. But you can read the classics. You can read books for thousands of years. Pick your favorite subject. Pick your favorite author. But read original source books by great people. That's lesson number one. Uh, give, us three, you still, give us three right off the top of your
3: head they should read right now. Three titles. Well, I, I – I, <laughs> Yeah. Come on, somebody you, you just four, said that in their head. They're like, yeah, but like what? There's 20,000 books in the bookstore.
4: I would read all the works by Richard Francis Burton, who's a weird guy who kept two sets of diaries, one for all his sexual interests and the other one for <laughs> culture interests. Uh, Check. But he, he went anywhere his curiosity would take him. It's a little hard to read because he uses his big words. And foreign words, but the point is that there is a man who didn't give a shit what people thought about him and was driven by his own personal interest. Powerful skill. And and even when he went looking for the source and now he said, No, nah, I'm good, you go, you go find the source, and I'm gonna hang out here and, and chat with the folks. Uh, secondly, anything by a leader you admire, like for example, Winston Churchill. He lived a very interesting life and and faced a lot of adversity and was very eloquent in writing those things down. Mm
2: -hmm.
4: Um, But I don't want to dictate to people of who they should read. You should read my books because my books are written from the heart. I don't have an agenda. I don't have a political party. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just saying here's a guy that's out there. And if you read my uh, autobiography, The Adventurist, it is a litmus test to see whether you are an adventurer or not. And it's it's a simple book to read. It's 300 pages, but it's it's well worth the read to meet a lot of interesting people. Uh, but books fire your imagination, and they're out of step with society, and that's important. Is you don't want to get into what society is thinking or doing. And and I tell people right off the bat, turn off the news. You know, do not have a Google feed. I mean, you can go on social media to talk to your friends, but do not get swept up in what you think is important because it's what other people think is important. Okay. The second part after you read is to act. And this is really hard with snowflakes. It's really hard (laughs) with people because they're so fucking healthy. They're so educated, but they're in debt. I mean, they're in debt up to their eyeballs because their mama said, go to school, be a whatever. And they're a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And they're, they're terrified. They can't just, go to that place they saw a picture of and hang out i mean when i was a kid i i decided that i would hitchhike to south america and i had 600 bucks i was 19 i ended up breaking people out of jail in Colombia for a living and i had a hell of a good time I don't know that you could tell people to do that these days. They would just look at you and say, oh, that's against the law. You can't do that. No, that's so far. And what about this? And I need that. So you need to start with baby steps. And and one of the ways to do that is go to a place you never thought you would go, whether it's the wrong side of town, just walk into the bar, start having a drink and talking to people or do shit that's random. And you'll find that random is normal. Right? It's actually quite normal to meet people you didn't meet. In other words, talk to people. Don't stare at your phone. Ask them questions like, oh, that's a nice shirt. Are you from this town or whatever? And you'll learn that people are very interesting and they're helpful and they're nice and they want to hear your side of the story. And this is how you facilitate the next move, which is to go into the most fucked up place on earth and hang out. And when I say that, I That's pick awesome. the place that you would never want to go and just hang out. But you got to have those skills. You got to have that book learning skill because you got to learn on your own. And you got to have people skills. And I used to sell chickens door to door when I was 10 years old. And that teaches you everything you need to know about people skills. You, <laughs> yeah, if you can sell a nasty ass chicken to somebody, bro. <laughs> you do got mad skills. You got to deal with rejection. You know, you got to deal with people saying, no, it took me three years to meet with uh, Ahmed Shah because I kept getting arrested and deported and kicked out and I just kept going at it. So if, if you have that stick to and the other skills, you will have a fabulous life.
2: Wow. Well, yeah, that, I mean, sir, those, those are, that's definitely some of the, the best advice that we've had guests give out there on, you know, and, and hopefully you know, there are listeners right now that are going to be inspired by that. And at least the very minimum, they'll, they'll read these stories that can conjure up and, and ignite some uh, grander sense of self and that exploration that does exist once you get off your ass and start visiting these places. A deeper understanding
3: yeah. of the world around us, and then hopefully that just contributes to making the world better in
2: some way. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's all we got for you. I, I mean, I, I would love to... <laughs> I would love to no. keep you on for like the next 10 hours yeah, here about you hours. interview Masood and all that. But how about maybe after your next adventure, uh, you come back on and you you share that with our, our, our listeners. What do you got working on right now, sir? And, and where can people go and, and pay attention or follow or, or, or understand what you're doing or just watch or wherever?
4: Okay, well, right now I'm setting up an interview with Joseph Coney. My guys are living with his bodyguards in Sudan. I'm doing a video game in which I'm in the video game, which is going to be scary and freaky. I'm (laughs) writing a book about Africa. I'm writing a book about special forces. Um, I'm writing my next autobiography, and I hang out on Facebook, but it's a private page, so unless I kill somebody, it's hard to get in there, but just Google my name. You'll see me. And I make knives. God damn it, you guys. You didn't plug my knives. Mm. Well, this, this, is is wait, this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity. This oh, is your opportunity. Help yeah. 70,000 hey, hey, people a week. Self-actuating. Okay, DPX Gear <laughs> makes <laughs> knives. Right, for special a, a special operation because I saw the shit the government was giving them, and I said, shit, i got to make good knives the way you guys need them. And, and if you just Google DPX Gear, you'll see what happens when you spend some time out in the field with guys who actually use knives. So, that's my plug for my. You company. have like
3: over twenty patents or something on your on DP, within DPS. Twenty four, right? and I right? and I don't. I barely have a high school degree. Yeah.
2: Hey, that's awesome. That you're giving hope to all the knocker draggers in the world, Robert. I love uh, oh,
4: it. Oh well, uh, never mind. I actually, I actually have some of your knives. <laughs> but the bottom line is this: people respect people in the military but they don't realize what they've learned and I gotta tell you a quick story I spent a lot of time man dancing in the mountains of Afghanistan and these old <laughs> Muj would come down from the hills to meet the American and these are guys that fought in the 80s right and yep. they sit there and they uh. tell me these stories and they're in their 60s you know 50s and, I, and they said, well, I can't read or write, but I want to tell you this story. And they tell you these mind-blowing stories. And I thought, you know, if I could do one thing, I would bring all the SEALs, the SF guys, and I would fly them to my ranch in Afghanistan, which is just outside of Kabul, and have all the Muj sit down. And they just fucking spend the night telling stories and and try to get some love between people who are used to fighting each other and and realize that we all do the same thing. We fight for our family, our country, our freedom, you know. So... That's something I'd love to do one day.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, if you get that meeting together, I'm in because uh, I spent my whole career over there and and now I'm at the position where I, I firmly believe that that conversation is the only way that that nightmare is going to end. So I, I commend you for the thought and hopefully you can manifest that, sir, because it really truly is the only way to end this craziness.
4: Cool. I, I like the way you think.
2: Well, Sir, again, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your time with us, and uh, we look forward to the future when we can get you back on here.
4: Well, it's actually been a pleasure because I don't usually talk about military things because I'm not a military guy, but I enjoy this topic very much. So anytime I'm oh, I was,
1: Yeah, that was great. I, man, I'm looking. I got the knives.
2: Up. <laughs> Marcus is already looking at your knives on the website. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that half-12 that chop, that, that chop first round, I'm going to have to get that in <laughs>
2: Well have a great time at SHOT Show, sir. God bless you.
4: I'll talk to you. Thank you guys. Yep. Talk to you again. Bye bye. Thank you. God bless you.
2: Holy shit, Marcus, that dude's awesome. I'm serious. Is it is it Sir Robert no. <laughs> I wanted to say that every time.
1: Is that, is I that? I like
2: he'd been knighted, like he's some Indiana is it Jones. Not it?
1: It's
3: not that way, though. You either I, have to be a I, knight, I, I knight or heard a very famous a assassin. Times, and I'm usually to, the only ones that... Go ahead. What, what is that, a full name basis? What's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you're, okay.
2: you're using your middle name as part of your surname, right? He definitely lay out
1: the uh, what I kept thinking about. You tell him he's broke, came from nothing, he's poured and finished. And it's kind of a line-by-line, line, basic, bare-bones... Hey, man, you, you, you want to have a, a, a great life kind of because the meaning of life is that it has meaning, right? You can't. And what he was talking about with all that money and everything, how do you say it? I can't remember. But ultimately, what it boils down to is the value you have better be inside of you, not what you can put on. Because that can be stripped away from you in a heartbeat. And when you if you, if you come from nothing, man, and, and no money, no last name, this, that's the beautiful part about, I guess, being around in, in this country in this time is you can just, just go out and create one. Because most everybody's going to, I'll say not everybody, but most, most people want to assimilate. They they know there's the path, the education. I get this on my wall, I'm in my car, in the garage, in the house, the wife, the, and the kids. Yeah. And, yeah. and ben, that doesn't resonate with some people. It just doesn't even make sense. It doesn't, doesn't feel right when you're doing that. And those people who realize that, that that's not their calling, man, there's. They're
2: driven goes, into that misery.
1: There's Right. And there's absolutely, I mean, an infinite amount of ways to make a living and make a life right there is I mean, Bro, he goes he's proof and chases the adventures and writes about it that's a thing
2: uh, it's a big thing apparently exactly when you're sitting there at
1: the, and i was thinking about this too man when we're all around and all around each other and even when you got uh people with a lot of money or fancy cars well cars outside your money's in the bank and we're all sitting in this room man you better have something more than that to tell me tell me a story the real value yeah you know tell me something Right, uh, I'd I like to hear how you made your money and you typed on the computer and I programmed this in and then all of a sudden this money went to my account or you go like, man, 2005 I was out in the middle of Afghanistan in the middle of nowhere when the <laughs> helicopter went and got down all of a sudden a donkey came over the hill two dudes threw me on the back of it, took me to a tent and I, for a month I was laying in there with the head of some dude that just took over a country because <laughs> a couple of dudes dressed up in green camouflage came in and told me it was going to be alright you just know, go all day with that story <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna yeah you know, i mean it, it that's that's the great part about it man is is, is how you live your life and how, how and,
2: you and it doesn't even have to be adventure in a war in a war does it either wizard i mean you can that, go you have make it billions of dollars off of talking about athlete anything and go it go go read, go follow the the most bizarre sporting events in the world go follow the the most go 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 visit the most ancient ruins in the world climb the seven highest peaks whatever it is that gets you out in this massive world we live in and what i heard what i heard and this is just me and i this is part of my whole thing is there are so many people that have so many things to contribute right Eight billion people, that's a lot of stories. That's a lot of potential relationships at whatever level you constitute a relationship that can affect you and affect your frame of reference of what this whole human condition is about. He, he's not just doing it in his own town, in his own region, his own state, his own job. Man, this guy's doing it worldwide.
1: That whole read the book concept, man, that's where the stories are hidden. You go back a long way. Oh, Books bro. have been around for a while. The Iliad? Yeah, you want to open up a uh, an adventure and see what's capable or what's not possible. That's the best part about it. You read something, and you're going through the numbers, and, and it hadn't been solved, or it hadn't been figured out, or somebody hadn't... Everyone thinks the adventures are gone. They're just getting started. I mean, there's there's a new one every single day, man, because the old adventures go away and die, and the new ones are coming up and go in. You hear it all the time. Remember we are talking about the Antikythera. Yeah. Uh, was it Jacques Cousteau went in on... Or vice versa. Somebody went in diving on that wreck the first time, and then what, a hundred years later or something like that. was like, wait a minute, I'm a little bit better diver than that dude. I think let's go check that out again. Yep, went and back down in, and
2: boom, huge, yeah. huge. <clears throat> I mean, well, was- I like your point about that. Is that the we evolve, right? History evolves, humanity evolves, and just because you're not hacking through. The, the the Nile River jungle and going the heart of darkness uh, Doctor Livingston. Even if it's you wanna go on a surf adventure, you love surfing, right? You or you love kayaking, or if you love mountain climbing, just go out. You love riding motorcycles, go ride. Is it ride. Worse?
1: I guess it's worth saying this to the younger generation. If there's something that you see online or on a movie or on TV that sparks your interest, go, go do go it. Go do it for real. Go do it. Yeah, for real.
3: Well, you know what really. One of the big points that he came up with, and it was the second item in his advice, the part about acting, and it was rolled into it about basically becoming too encumbered by the restrictions they have, whether it's social or financial, and they become so concerned about maintaining this comfortable life that has been, this prescribed life that they've been thinking is what they have to attain, and they have... So much responsibility to just maintain that life and what's in it that it takes so much of their time that they are unable to truly go out and pursue freedom what they want. And we're not talking just—I mean, it's easiest, perhaps most simple to understand it in in, in from the perspective of, of material possessions. You know, you got to pay for this house and you have a mortgage and on all this. Well, I think he was advocating that encumber yourself with in life with the things that support the supports your pursuit of what you want out of life. And don't take on all this extra baggage because it just weighs you down.
2: Perfect example. What he said, Hey man, you don't need to go to Zimbabwe or anything like that. Just go to the other side of the tracks, climb in some dive bar there and start talking to people. That's the adventure. That's the different perception. And that in and of itself will, will Spark that domino thing that you've talked about, Marcus, and lead into another adventure and another adventure.
1: People can talk smack all day on, you know, when you get on social uh, media, like, I'm going to see how to go, go, actually go in over there and, t- and say that to them. To you, right? You know, right?
2: The, yeah, I, I mean, the re-engaged. haters are the haters. So right? I
1: think the more social we become, the less social we are. We talk about this. You can't stand in front of somebody and say, LOL. I mean, you got to laugh at their joke. Right? I mean, you got to. <laughs>
2: seems so simple but yet yeah it's I, and it so, goes with
1: cultivating our instinct right the more people were ooh, around, I like that and and the, the more you know different personalities we deal with the better our, we become i mean it teaches us something about ourselves that we didn't know that's why when you when you when i had when i get kids and start taking them to school a lot of people complain about the teachers being mean and that the other and i'm like Man, you know my kids spend more time with those teachers now than they do me and, and ultimately what's happening is they're learning how to deal with that type of person because they're going to run into them again you know, if I come in and start bailing, it's a teacher for God's sake. You know, it's safe. They're just mean or whatever it is, right? <laughs> There's no imminent danger, so let them deal with that. I mean, that's part of growing up. It's supposed to be part of school, and I, I think a lot of times, I, I know, I guess we, you know, you can overshadow the young. It's a protection thing. When we were in that 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 that, that spot, we're like, "Hey, man, I got this. Let me let me try and the figure instinct. this out." Yeah.
2: Can you expand a little bit and help our listeners understand, Marcus? How? developing instinct becomes critical for developing the never quit mindset. Ultimately,
1: if you boil it down to all everything that was important to you, it would be for survival, right? What it takes, the instincts you need that you're born with when you're, when you're a baby, when you come out and uh, you know, you, when you, you can't speak yet. So you cry. That's when you're hungry. And, but a lot of times those preconceived notions of fear are implemented in us from our parents because it's what they're afraid of, family. not us. And, and it deadens those instincts, right? And the more you tack onto that it's it's kind of a it's counterproductive
2: counterintuitive
1: too right everyone knows man that as you go through life it's the pressure that makes you better. Everything on this Dang. planet and everything in this universe is is derived off of pressure, either good and bad or light and dark, whatever it is. go down this rabbit's <laughs> hole
2: I think it's critical that the listeners understand what we're trying to say is that and and also I think what Robert was trying to say. Is in in our society now? There's a, a a certain familiarity that is deadening the instinct to take risk. That yeah, is, you, well, to be
1: risk averse. How about this one? You you take on responsibilities that really aren't your own and worries that really aren't your own just by looking through that computer, and it's it's because it, it's affecting somebody on the other side,
0: mm.
1: right? And that's kind of a human condition too, because we worry about each other, you know, pack animals, if you will, but. Make sure that, that the dignity that you carry is also your own and doesn't reside in somebody else's life because oh, if their dignity that. is stripped away, so is yours. And if you can be taken apart because somebody else can, then you never really lived your own life. You're living somebody else's. I mean, if you think something's... We talked about this earlier. I mean, pain is, is a matter of perception of the beholder and the situation that you're in. We've trained ourselves in so many situations that it's not stressful to us. I'm not stressed out at all. But you'll see people in situations losing their minds. The human body and, and what we are is such an amazing invention, right? It's, yeah. it's always evolving, man. And those instincts that we hone in over time, we pass those down. It makes them better. But no matter what, you will always see, man, when it gets hard or when things get bad, you get hit, you will go down to, we call it animal instinct because animals do, do the same things we do. If your hands are tired, you try to chew out of it. And um, all the way up to the way we communicate. If we're in pain, we yell out loud. Every It's the same thing. Our ability to interact with each other in, in certain situations is what has, has made us unique. And if you start taking that away, you're going to take away what's unique about us. And and you go back to just like a general collective of a mass that can't really do anything without somebody
2: Tellin', telling them, you know. I love it. So that's a lot to digest. This interview, I know the wizard and I and, and, and Marcus were listening to this guy just in complete and utter Amazement at his life experience, the spectrum of his perspective, uh, and I think just his overall never quit attitude to go out and get in the shit, dude. I mean, I love his curiosity. Right, right, yeah. That's it, the fuel, he never that's quits. The there, that
3: takes him out there. His curiosity for life.
2: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. All right. Listen, if, if you if you tune in and this is your first show with us at the T&Q podcast, man, Thanks, Masprin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> no, no. Go sit back. Go put the bottle down. Yeah, put the <laughs> bottle down and go sit down and ponder <laughs> what you just heard. If you're a repeat offender and you're back for more, you are a glutton for punishment and we love your ass. So thank you. And, and you're wh- on the payroll. Are you on a payroll? We love you too, though. Uh, and without you, this show wouldn't be what it is. So, and here's the deal if you know somebody out there that's struggling, if you know somebody out there that is floundering, that is trapped inside that prison of, of comfort that Robert was discussing, man, then push this show to them. Ha- go to their phone, pull up the I- iTunes podcasting app. Subscribe to our show, download this show, and press play and make them listen to this. Because hopefully, hearing us talk about it, hearing him talking about it, will spark something in them to want to get out there and experience life that can change their perspective, man. Because that's the essential component. From that life experience, you will begin to develop the never quit mindset. It's just that simple all right and if you also have a killer never quit story write in go to the website at Q podcast to the place where it says share your story upload that story we'll go through it we'll post it on with our community with the rest of our teammates who've written in if it's really amazing we'll read it on the air we got one here for you right now and if it's phenomenal marcus Coming on. You're going to come on with us, and you're going to be a listener guest on the show. All right, before we wrap it up, the wizard gave me this story. And this is from Mike. It says, my never quit moment. Now, I've been going back and forth with this. I'm not what you'd call bashful person, but it makes me wonder if you guys would even see this. I've been a listener for about two weeks. Once I found your podcast, I've been obsessed. I listen to this anytime I'm commuting to and from work and to the gym and wherever else I'm going. My never quit moment isn't exactly straightforward as some of the stories you've read in the past. So here it goes. When I was 16... I left home because of an abusive father and a heroin addicted mother. Now don't get me wrong. My parents are good people, but I couldn't stay anymore. I stayed with friends and stayed at a firehouse. I volunteered at time to time. I worked at a grocery store stocking shelves to make enough money to get to school buy my first car, a 1990 S 10 for 400 bucks. Well done by the way. And enough to buy a loaf of bread and meat, meat ends, from the grocery store I worked at. I went from place to place over the next few years, and one bad relationship after the next. I got to the point where I thought that there was no one out there who would understand my past, the abuse, or the exposure to the drugs. So after a few years of this cycle, I became homeless, living out of my car, one of the hardest things to do was to find a place to park so I, could, so I could sleep and no one would find me. I went through this for almost nine months. I was tired of this lifestyle and turned to alcohol. Somehow, I managed to get hired as a firefighter in the D.C. metro area. I struggled with alcoholism, depression, and was almost fired. All of this was from when I was 16 to 21 Fast forward to present time I was promoted to lieutenant with my department married the woman of my dreams and we have our own home My never quit moment came February 2nd 2017 at 10:23 a.m. when I became a father The world stood still in that moment as my wel- wife held our son I knew in that moment, failure would never be an option for me. Everything that I thought bothered me was gone in an instant. My new focus is to be the backbone of my family, to raise my son with respect, honor, and dignity. I want him to be a better man than I ever could be. Marcus, Wizard, Rutt. You men inspire me daily in both my professional life as a leader, company officer, as a man and a father. Now, listening to other listener submissions, I know my life could be so much worse. Just know you all give me something to look forward to daily. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for all that you gentlemen have done for our great country. Mike, Mike, You're a hard homeboy. I mean, brother, to come out of that environment, to go to homeless, to find your passion, to get hired, to have them take a risk, to find the woman and to become a father, brother, man, bravo Zulu on you. You represent what we believe is the greatest of the never quit mindset. Thank you so much for having the courage to write your story in and to share it. With the tens of thousands of people that are paying attention in in our team. We just couldn't Mm -hmm. thank you enough for doing that, brother. I want to thank God. I want to thank Christ. I want to thank my girls, my family, my mom and dad. I want to thank, you know, my dad in particular for inspiring me to get out there and experience the world there is out there. To be a renaissance man. Because without that influence, man... I don't know if I would have ever done half the things I'd ever done in my life. I want to thank Robert Young Pelton. Man, God bless you, sir. You are are, (laughs) an amazing human being. I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your amazing insights into this world. Um, To all our listeners, God bless you guys. Get out there. Go do it. Go see it. Go experience. Become the adventurer you've always dreamed of. And to, to you two cats, man, thanks, you guys. I really appreciate doing this show with you, being able to do what we're doing, and to serve this great country one more time.
1: Absolutely. That was a good one. Sir Robert, thank you. <laughs> I swear to God, he's a knight. That was a good one. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming on. To everybody who's bringing us back, man, I, we can't thank you enough. It's it's an unbelievable privilege to have this and uh, be able to get out here and, and just to sh- share these stories with these amazing people and, and share them with you guys. So thank you all so much for that. God bless.
0: I'm out. Out.